Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Mark, I have a stack waddy game for you. Hurrah. Always keen. With a financial twist here, um, I have before me the names of six musical acts who've all lent their names to credit cards. Oh, okay. But only one of them I've made up. Okay. Yep. And these are the names. Beyonce. Michael Jackson, Kiss, the Wu-Tang Clan, the Sex Pistols, and you too. Beyonce, Michael Jackson, Kiss, Wu-Tang Clan, the Sex Pistols, and you too. Which one of those Sex Pistols is so ridiculous. It has to be true. It is. It it just does. Beyonce, you would imagine that's precisely what she'd do. She did. Um, I'm saying, and the Wu-Tang Clan, again, is so preposterous that I'm, I'm inclined to think that happened too. It did. Uh, okay. So we're now, you two wouldn't be the sort of thing they ought to do, but it's bound to be the kind of thing that they did do. So I'm saying you two did as well. No, they didn't. Oh, they didn't. Okay. So it was Michael Jackson's so kiss. They're the Fair ringer. Enough. So Beyonce had a credit card with American Express called the Beyonce credit card. Michael oh, right. Jackson. Michael Jackson had the Michael Jackson Visa card launched in 2005. Kiss had a co-branded credit card with Bank of America called the Visa. Oh, brilliant! Kiss Visa card. Uh, Wu Tang Clan, yes, they had a, a co-branded credit card with uh, called the Wu Tang Clan Stockpile card. And in 2015, Virgin Money launched the Sex Pistols credit card, which you could either have. Designed with anarchy in the UK or never mind the bollocks. You could take your choice. It didn't How go down well. Was that? <laughs> I mean, it apparently didn't go down well because people people who liked the Sex Pistols didn't like to feel that they'd ever do that kind of thing. Of course, no, that's precisely the kind of thing that they would do. It's like advertising butter is exactly the kind of thing. They'd do. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so you two, no. To be fair, if you two had done that, there would have been a massive outcry. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. but although it's the kind of thing you'd think they might be tempted or certainly would have thought about. Oh well, that's good. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. win. So listen, it's um, 
it's 50 years ago, <clears throat> pretty much this week, since the release of Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. Do you remember Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells? I remember that coming out so vividly because, yeah, I was at college at the time and, and uh, all the little cafes, little restaurants that we used to go to all played it nonstop. It was, I mean, it was actually, you went round to people's houses, didn't you, and just listened to it in its entirety, in silence. I had a copy. I had one side too. I had a copy because that was the great thing that it was. Uh, it was uh, uh, a sustained piece of music, wasn't it? Yeah. And I was. They. They got really good reviews. Uh, oddly enough, it's really interesting that uh, John Peel wrote wrote about it in I can't remember which newspaper. Probably sounds it would have been. No, I think he wrote about it in one of the one of the heavies. And, oh right. Uh, and and said that it was uh, you know, it was, it was completely yeah he wrote about it in the listener yeah the listener oh right okay and he he played it in his entirety on his radio show and he said it covered new and uncharted territory and he hoped that there would be a performance of it and that Radio Three would carry it because there was a performance there of was it. a performance which was but it, a, a, it took a while didn't it, it did and it was all to do with his stage fright wasn't it because Mike Oldfield, let's not forget, was about 17 when he wrote it, I think, and I think 19 when it came out. So probably was recording it around 18, 19. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, played all he was, it, didn't he play he all instruments? He was a member of uh, Kevin Ayers' group, wasn't he, the whole yeah. world. And he was the young genius guitar player. And when they broke up, he got out of it. Kevin Ayers gave him a tape recorder. And I think it was a multi-track tape recorder, which in yeah. those days was a really rare thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, people would, you know, go through their whole lives and never have access to a thing like that. And um, and it was having this that gave him the opportunity to just lay down some, you know, start with a bass part or whatever and then put guitars over the top of it and slowly build it up. And played it to a variety of record companies who said, well, it's quite nice, but we can't see where it will fit at all. And then he got this this job at the Richard Branson had just opened the Manor, which was the recording studio in the country, um, and he got a job there as a kind of helper out and tea boy, tape op. Whatever. And used all the downtime, didn't he? Used all the downtime. He would record all night, you know. And because when you did those kind of records in those days, you know, there must have been there must have been very rudimentary kind of counters on uh, on tape machines, but there wouldn't be the kind of precise digital readouts that you had nowadays, so you knew exactly where to drop in yeah. your your new part. You wouldn't. You'd have to go back to the beginning pretty much every time. It was an immensely laborious process. But he, he went on, you know, worked on this for months and eventually came up with it. And it, it only came out because Branson was looking for something to be the first record on the Virgin label. Of course, yeah. it was V2001, was Tubular Bells, which was the most left-field thing you could possibly choose to mark the, the launch of your record company. With. But also the most brilliant thing to mark out the character of Virgin Records, wasn't I it? I suppose it did. underground, you know, uh, empire. Yeah, but he, it, got, it got a lot of notice early on, but the thing that, broke, that really broke it was that um, William Friedkin at the time was making The Exorcist, in the United States, and he had a score which had been commissioned for the uh, for the film, and he didn't like it. And so the film was being done by Warner Brothers, and they said, "Well, Warner Brothers was obviously the same as had the record company, and and Tubular Bells was one of the things that was supposed to come out on Warner Brothers in the states, 
but was just on a pile of stuff. Oh, try that. We're not going to put any of that out, you know. So William Friedkin just went through these records, played a bit of this white label, heard, the, heard this bit at the beginning, thought, that'll do. And so that's how it ended up on the um, on the soundtrack of, of The Exodus. And that's what put it through the roof, wasn't that's it? That's absolutely yeah, what put yeah. it through the roof. And that's why to this day, if you're of our kind of vintage, it always sounds faintly spooky. It does, because you associate it subliminally. Exactly. You subliminally associate it. It is. Yeah. It's sinister, actually, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is now. It, yeah. it, it never was when it originally came out, but as soon as it had been associated with The Exorcist, uh, it was, you know, and that's 50 years ago. So this year was the, you know, 1973, 50 years ago, was the year of kind of long form, wasn't it? Because it was... It was Dark Sound of the Moon at the same time. You know? And also long form was the thing, wasn't it? It you was. Know, long form movies. You think of 2001, you know, everything was about an hour longer than it should have been. You know? Well, 2001. It was epic. It was interesting. I was listening to, you know, we were talking about that, that thing last week about how um, Rock Around the Clock ended up on the soundtrack of um, The Blackboard Jungle. Yeah. And I heard that on the same podcast where I heard the, once again, the story of uh, 2001, how the music got in 2001. Again, music was commissioned for 2001, but Kubrick wasn't convinced by it and just used to try playing the Blue Danube, you know, just off a record as he was editing certain sequences. Yeah. And decided that classical music was what worked best with it, you know. And so to the, to the um, disgust of the guy who'd been off, writing the music, writing the score. He chucked all that away and just used the classical music. And, of course, the thing about 2001, again, sorry, going back to the point about long form, came out, got quite poor reviews, did nothing. But slowly what made it pick up was late-night screenings for stoners who would... It would stagger into the electric cinema. Yeah, all-nighters, that's right. All-nighters. Out of the pub. Yes. With a load of ready rolled numbers. <laughs> they just, those stoners, they like the thing, the idea of things that go on too long. You know? Oh, absolutely. No stoner ever goes, oh, we've had too much of this. And they were oh, quite often on a loop, those films. So if you fell asleep in the middle of it, you could wake up and just it'll start again in about an hour's time. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Oh, brilliant. So, so 50 years ago since long form. Thankfully, it's all over now. The Word Podcast, prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Beyonce World Tour has started fantastic reviews. I mean, I bet it's I bet it's absolutely thrilling, you know. It sounds incredible. But very interesting thing about the first gig, which I think was in Sweden, about how people come from all over the world. Did you see that? People come from yeah, all over the world to go to this thing, dressed up in their rhinestone boots and their glittery cowboy hats, etc., and they come not just because the tickets are a bit cheaper, because I mean, obviously, even if the tickets are $146 or whatever, from 60, I think cheapest tickets were $63. You know, you're still going to fly there and stay in a hotel. And all that. That's not the <laughs> point. The point is, point is that these tours are so oversubscribed that people have flown from all over the world to Sweden because they've got more chance of buying a ticket yeah. than they have if they stay home in, in you know, Florida or whatever. Which is amazing. If you think how much she's playing, I think she's doing something like 90 dates. She's doing 
uh, five are possibly going to add another one at, at Tottenham Stadium in, in, in Britain, which is a 62,000 seater. So that's, that's 320,000 tickets already. <laughs> I think it all, in I think it all, days. All, all those people who've paid the fortune trooping up the Tottenham High Road. Yeah. Which is, the which glamour. Is not, not the most enthralling, yeah. enthralling entrance to a stadium in the country. But anyway, yeah, about fire. Five five shows. I'll probably five shows. More. And I would I would imagine that they must make somewhere in the region of eight, nine, ten, probably ten, ten million a, a, a show. Turnover. You know, turnover, turnover, obviously. So that's about nine hundred to a hundred to a hundred million turnover. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Isn't I it? wonder if the promoters thousand million, sorry, point, thousand. Yeah. Interesting point. Do the promoters participate in the sales of alcohol when they go to places like the Tottenham Stadium. Because the Tottenham Stadium famously has, um, you know, it's a completely digital environment. You know, you can't use cash in the Tottenham Stadium at all. Yeah. Um, and so it, it famously fills up the pints of lager from the bottom, you know, with incredible speed. You know, it's just amazing how its technology works there. But, uh, you know, normally promoters participate. Uh, well, ar- artists participate in the royalties from, yeah. in, in, in the income from that. I wonder if that applies with big stadiums like, uh, like Spurs Stadium. I don't know if You'd anybody think it knows. Must, but my God, the profits, you know. But the other interesting thing is that all the reviews are talking about how the whole gist of what she does is a kind of celebration of, of uh, you know, black queer music, isn't yes. it? It's LGBT. And this is the same Beyonce, let's not forget, who in January this year went to Dubai yes. and played a gig, was it, for the opening of a, I can't remember, it was a, a hotel, I think, Atlantis Hotel, was it? Atlantis Royal, that's right, in Dubai, and was paid, this is a good hourly rate, $24 million for a one-hour show. That's, so that's my hourly rate, $24 million. But anyway, this is the, a regime that you know where homosexuality oh, is still illegal. You know the, uh, the yeah, so much, so much for black queer culture there. Yeah, that's it's incredible. Uh, it's it's a fantastic piece, fantastic piece in the New Yorker at the moment about the uh, about the disappearance of two daughters of the ruler of Dubai. Oh yes, uh, which is just hair raising. Absolutely yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. But, uh, you know, money talks, certainly. And even to people like that, I mean, how much money do you want, really, you know? <laughs> they just can't re- resist the you next You can't day. resist it, can you? <laughs> the next payday. You think, well, I'm, life would just be somehow better off if I had that $24 million in the bank. But, yeah. I mean, really, when you're making the kind of money they are, there's a point where you think you could stay home. Or the principles would win out or whatever. Yeah. No, yeah. extraordinary. It's an extraordinary thing. So this week, I can't remember what the record was. I was listening to some record and I thought, my God, some songwriters are still rhyming the word arms with the word charms. You know, if I hold you in my arms and I feel your many charms. Also, charms is such an outdated word. Nobody would use the word charms. Absolutely. You might say something's charming, but you'd never say charm. You wouldn't. She it's has a great co- charms. It's a completely Edwardian kind of it euphemism, is. isn't it? Right? It Doesn't is. It, does it mean breasts? That's what you <laughs> always take it to mean. But it's amazing how it, how it just, uh, you know... I've, I've got a bunch of them here. This is Marlena Dietrich, obviously Lily Marlene, which was a big Second World War hit, you know. 
Bugler tonight, don't play the call to arms. I want another evening with its charms. You know, oh, endless love, Lionel Richie, Diana Ross. I hold you close in my arms. I can't resist your charms. Shall all I, I have to do is dream, isn't it? When I want you in my arms. When Make I want you and all your charms. Tom Waits, Jersey Girl. You know she thrills me with all her charms when I'm wrapped up in my baby's arms. Wishing he's better that, than that, Tom Waits. <laughs> he surely is better than that. They can't resist it, can they? You know, it's no just, doubt this Rasputin had lots of hidden charms, though he was a brute. They fell into his arms. <laughs> Boney M. There you go. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's just, I've got pages of them in, in front of me. Well, there's a site, isn't there, that has uh, literally hundreds. They absolutely, at least 500, you know. Uh, what, what it mentions all the other cliches, doesn't it? Fire desire, ocean emotion, free me, phone alone. Love oh, yeah, above and heart apart. Those are apparently the most cliched rhymes. Drive all night by Bruce Springsteen. And to taste your tender charms, and I just want to sleep tonight again in your arms. That's terrible, isn't That's it? That's rotten. That's just absolutely rotten. Songwriters, surely you it can is. do better than this, goodness sake. You know, what is the need for artificial intelligence if people just got this kind of stuff rolling Reach off them all that? I mean, they can... It's, it's absolutely astonishing. I found a site that told you that the commonest rhymes used by various artists. I thought it was really interesting. Others oh, were light and night. Who's? And who's? 
that's ABBA, Light right. and Night and Strong and Wrong, and Nirvana was Die and Sky and Dead and Head. <laughs> oh, that's very it's revealing, good. isn't it? It's very, very good. good. What's Steely Dan's? Have you got those there? Oh, no, I haven't. No, no, no. It's Steely Dan. Well, Don't tell a- me, do you, did they do a Charms Arms? They probably did. Oh, we, we shall have to uh, I shall look up Steely Dan. But there's some great ones. I, 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 when you tweeted, various people were talking about great rhymes of our time. And Museum and Just to See Them in Big Yellow Taxi <laughs> is a fantastic rhyme. Don't you think? You see, and she gets away with that because when she sings it herself and, you know, it, it's funny, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it, like it, when she sings, Richard got married to a figure skater and he bought her a dishwasher and a coffee percolator. That's a lovely <laughs> rhyme. I love that. Somehow that's fine. Whereas, uh, you know, I sat on the roof and kicked at the moss. A Some few of these, of these verses, verses, they got, got me got quite, quite cross. cross. Doesn't really. No, somebody tweeted a lovely one, Jeanette by the Beat, which I don't think I remember. Did you see that one? No, I didn't. Go it's on. just a number of rhymes concentrated into a short period. It goes, all set, luncheonette, kitchenette to let, I bet I get hamburgerette. Again, we met in a laundrette, kiss beneath the air jet, no threat, no sweat, another one in the back of the net, but I met Jeanette, substitute Ronette. That's Very just, good. that's maximum rhymes, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, that's all like, uh, it's too much munging business, isn't it? You know, Chuck Berry. Yeah, 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 um, it is. Which, is, again, is subterranean home street blues, isn't it? It is. It's, it's the same idea, you know. Yeah, it is. Let's just see how many of these I can, I can pile into a line. So send us your nominations. We want to hear them. My nomination, I have to say, I still think it's from Crimea River. Don't you think that's the great one? Go on. You told me love was too plebeian. You told me you were through with me and me. Now you say you love me, just to say prove it's true. Isn't that great? Plebeian with through with me and very good. That's very a cool good. Cut. Send them in. We want to know your favorite rhymes or least favorite, actually. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. We're joined by Alex Gold. Hello, Alex. Hello there. Hi, hi. I- I, we wanted your uh, expert input on what was going on with The View this week. Um, the View, a, a group I knew nothing about, really. But they had a reunion show, didn't they, in, in Manchester, I think. Yes. Um, yeah, they split up in 2017, I think. So it's quite a big deal for View supporters. They hadn't played for six years. Big right. reunion show. Right. And... Go on, tell us what happened, Alex. Well, they had what they, <clears throat> excuse me, what they described as a brotherly bust-up that went a bit too far. Um, I've had a look at the footage, and what I saw was the bass player giving the singer a little nudge or moving his mic, and then the singer went completely and utterly postal, um, threw his guitar down, kicked him in the head, and um, they couldn't Kicked him in the head? Yeah. Really? I've not <laughs> seen this clip. I've only seen where he thumps him. If I may say so, it was very Dundee, and uh, yeah, the gig the gig was stopped. And uh, I mean, these are grown men in their late thirties. Um, yes, this is not. That's a very good point, actually. Yeah, they're not seventeen-year-olds, are they? <laughs> no. Who've had six pints, you know, and uh, lost it. No, but that shows you how deep-seated and. Uh, and and you know, difficult. This 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 riff must have, must well, be. Well, apparently, it all started when the singer um, Kyle Falconer uh, said something along the lines of the bass player. The problem with him is he wants to sing all the songs, but he can't. Which might he be said taken, that on stage, right? 
I think he said it on stage, which the bass player may well have taken offence to, but... Could possibly, yeah. But I think if if you take the context out of this, isn't that the point of bass players? They can't sing. That's why they're bass players, isn't it? You know, That's absolute nonsense. What on earth are you talking about? That's a ridiculous (laughs) thing to say. There are millions of bass players who are the lead singers of their groups. Tons of them, Magic. But isn't that why the bass player of the view is the bass player of the view? Because he can't be the singer of the view. So it might be the case of the view, but I don't think you make that kind of generalisation about Paul McCartney and Sting and can you? I don't All know. right, there's an exception to every yeah. rule, but uh, yeah, there seems to be a bit of a background to it anyway. Um, well, but, no, what I was intrigued by, and I was intrigued uh, by the one time violence actually, because one thing I I I I, I, I realised was that the Gallagher brothers, for example, would have never let it go. Their their rage would have all been contained and handled viciously off stage. They would have never. I mean, there's no way of battering your bass player in public and making it look cool or glorious. No, yeah, no, obviously all lost the excitement out of that. Out it takes all the danger out of it. In fact, it just looks a bit rubbish, doesn't it? Yeah. When you see somebody flapping about, kicking the bass player in the head, it doesn't look cool at all. I tell know. you what, it, I tell you what it looks like, it, and I've, I've been thinking about this a lot for the last <laughs> few weeks, actually. Just walking down a road uh, near where I live, mm. and I saw something that I see all the time, and I've seen for years, and I've decided it's the single most annoying thing I ever see, which is if you're ever walking down your local high street or whatever, and you're behind a bunch of 13-year-old boys who are going to school, yes, which mm. you do, yeah, they find it impossible to walk along without one of them pushing some of the other ones. They just, it's just a, a completely 13-year-old boy thing, isn't it? It's play fighting, pushing each other back and forth. Weren't we probably the same? Absolutely, of <laughs> course we were. Of course we were. Yeah. Course we we were. were having intellectual debate, but I doubt it. No, right. we're all the same, but it's just so annoying to look at, isn't yeah. it? Really annoying. And that's what this was like, wasn't it? It was yeah. like a bunch of 13-year-olds trying to push each other into the road, kind of. But that's thing. so true. It's the main currency of young boys, isn't it? It's <laughs> some kind of violence. <laughs> it's, it's the idea there's a gang of four, and there's always three ganging up on another one and thumping yeah. them, and then yeah. he joins up with the others and thumps them back. You know? But you're right. This is people just bad. But also the fact that they couldn't resolve it, that they had to call the gig off in the middle. So how do you feel if you've waited six years Travelled God knows how far, paid this amount of money, and it means something to you to see the group just stop in the middle of the show. Do you think it's extraordinary? Well, it's probably the the greatest publicity boon that they've had in years, actually. Yeah, here years. we are talking about I'd never heard yeah. of them before. Uh, well, I'd never heard of them at all. But there's uh, something about the psychology of, uh, of being in a band that leaves gentlemen in a state of certain arrested development, isn't there? Oh, because absolutely! You, that wouldn't happen with a group of actors. That wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen at the Globe, would it? <laughs> no, do actors actors don't have punch ups? I don't. Actors think. Actors never say ever say anything controversial about anybody because at some stage they may finish up working with them. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas groups just tend to feel that they're in a little gang and they can fire off shots <laughs> across each other's bows, you know. And uh, it's a totally- but but, but it, it made me think: Is every group that we're looking at? And here I want your expert input, Alex. Hmm. Actually, 
you know, a drama? Is it a situation waiting to kick off at any stage, you know? Is there always a resentment going between members of, of bands on stage? I think frequently, because <clears throat> actually something that you said to me once, Dave, was that is that... <laughs> Bands are full of gentle, bands are full of men that don't talk to each other. <laughs> right, yeah. that's right. Which, and you know, these the, the lion's share of bands get formed in ad- adolescence, and your adolescence is probably when you have the most amount of beef with people in your entire life. You sort of sort it out after that, don't you? But yeah, you know, all, all this adolescent tetchiness just gets carried over because yeah. they don't talk about it. Ever. Yeah. And all these little issues mount up, you know, and, and eventually something's going to bubble up and it's going to be 10,000 minor little stupid things <laughs> that wouldn't bother anybody in the real actual world that we all live in. But in, in the band dimension, um, so another just, reason Spinal Tap is so fantastically yeah, acute, isn't it? Because that's that, they've got that niggling thing all the way through. It's about it could, kind of it could, it could well be also that all of us have seen many gigs where there was something going on on stage that we weren't aware of, but would have been really clear to the members of the band. You know, so-and-so's refusing to move over there or something, you know. He's taking his time over this. We've spoken about that and he's still not done anything about it. You know, there must be all kinds of passive-aggressive behaviour going on. You know, going big, on the stage that we don't know about at all. So the big game changer for me was the first time I, I did a theatre production and having grown up exclusively playing in indie bands, you know, in that sort of circle, um, I had no idea really. And in theatre, you have note sessions most days and you talk about the day before anything that yeah. anybody's not happy with. And you just, even if it's something completely minor, everybody gets a chance to sort of let what yeah. they need to say out. And it's said and it's done and you move on and you have a good show that night and you do it again the next day. There's no such thing for bands. And they're just not programmed. That's a really good point. That's a great point. Because there was a a tradition whereby at the end of it, you sat down and you analyse what you did and you make it come to some kind of agreement about trying to change it. You you would, but you're absolutely right. So anybody making any kind of comment at all is is kind of out of line or being aggressive. <laughs> but very rarely does it spill over as badly as it spilled no. over with the view uh, last week. But, but all those shows usually kept going, didn't they? Well, didn't the Kingston Mick Avery once throw a symbol at Dave Davis? Oh yeah, yeah. Thought he killed like... him at Cardiff or something like that. But I, didn't they, I think they carried on. I don't know. <laughs> they soldiered on. They gave people their money's worth. And they're probably all. <laughs> they're probably all. To be fair, about twenty-one at the time. Yeah, absolutely. In the late thirties. Yeah. This is this is different. So, any other business, Alex? Uh, what are you going to, we're going to talk about uh, uh, June well, the third? Our yes. uh, word in the park. Go on. There's additional news there, isn't there, Alex? There is. For the first time ever, we are uh, hosting via Brighter Day Records. Joel Joel Diath, who was uh, on on the word in your article, who was really ago. good too, really fantastic. interesting guy. He is bringing along a a selection of multi-genred exciting vinyl and uh, setting up a pop-up record shop so on we, site. So we're going to have two, two shops. 
There is, yeah. So you can go along and have a browse, see what he's got, and you can also uh, try to interest him in buying something from you as well, if you so wish, if you have something that you think is of uh, merchantable quality. So it's all all that adds further stuff to do in the afternoon of June the 3rd in Holland Park, Word in the Park, where our guests are John Higgs, talking about the Beatles, James Bond of the British Psyche, uh, Bob Stanley talking about the Bee Gees, Leslie Ann Jones uh, talking about the Rolling Stones on the occasion of the 60th anniversary of the release of the first single, and Claire, Claire Grogan, Grogan talking, talking about, about being talking Claire Grogan. Yeah. That'll be uh, fun. And, uh, be. and we're, uh, you know, we're emceeing the whole thing and there'll be uh, a stall there from West End Lane Books uh, selling books in which people will sign and so forth. And Joel Diather will also be there from Brighter Day Vinyl. Uh, bars, lavatories you would take your mother to. Fabulous uh, covered auditorium, keeps the rain off, lets the sunshine in. Guaranteed be, good weather. Be there. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.